Okay, let's start moving. We are in a sermon series on the whole Bible. So for those of you who um, haven't been with us, we are in a six-week series called The Bible Toolbox. We're trying to give you the tools that are going to help you understand your Bible when you study it, because studying it is the number one way you're going to grow in your faith. And yet studying it is really, really difficult sometimes because it was written over a period of time to a lot of different original people in a lot of different original languages. And there's a lot of history that if you did not study the ancient Near East, you're not going to immediately know. And so on Sunday mornings, I'm giving you a big picture overview of the entire Bible. We're going section by section. And so if you thought it was too much that I covered a whole chapter in a week, I am covering like six or seven books in a single sermon. Um, so it is big picture. It is, we're looking at the forest and I'm trying to give you the broad overview of the story so that when you are then studying something in these sections, you will have the context in which to interpret it. So next week we're going to go, the next chunk of books in the Bible is the wisdom books. And then after that we have the prophets. And then after that we're in the New Testament. We've got two weeks of the New Testament and then we're done. The whole Bible in six weeks. On Wednesday evenings we are giving you the tools to really dissect each particular passage. So we're, we're talking, last week we talked about the different manuscripts and how to really read the footnotes about where the translations came from in your Bible and how to um, read the translator's notes about where they got, which manuscript they were pulling, using when they translated the version of the Bible that you are reading today. Uh, so that was what last week's sermon, uh, Wednesday night series was about. We've got five more of those. We'll be talking about language and history and geography and all the tools that are available for normal people to help them really dig in as they're digging into a particular passage. So together, we hope to give you just a little bit more in your toolbox to really be able to understand your Bible. Last week, we talked about the first five books of the Bible that are called the Pentateuch or the books of Moses, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the story that is introduced in those first five books of the Bible is the story of God creating everything to be good, humans messing it up, and then God putting in place a plan by which he was going to reclaim his creation to save the world. So the image is that God had created the, the world and it was going to be his dwelling place. The image is, it, there's actually a lot in the creation narrative that echoes um, temple imagery of the ancient Near East. So it's like God was building his temple and he was going to come live in his temple, which was the world. But then humans messed it up and God could no longer live in his temple the same way fire can no longer live with dry wood without consuming it, right? And so God, because of the nature of what his creation had become, could no longer dwell wholly, completely in his creation. And so he put in place a plan to rescue his creation and make it a, again a place that he could live and his creatures could all live in harmony with him. And so what that plan entailed was choosing a particular family. God chose Abraham and Abraham grew from a person to a family to a tribe to a nation. And it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob became Israel. Jacob had 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was the 12 tribes of Israel that then became the nation of Israel. That nation went to Egypt under favorable conditions, was enslaved in Egypt, 
God rescued them out of Egypt and made a covenant with them. And the covenant was, I will be your God, you will be my people. And if you behave in this way and live with me as my people, I will give you the promised land. And so the image is that God is, is trying to recreate. God is starting his, uh, his recovery of the earth by establishing a stronghold, right? In enemy territory, by reestablishing a foothold in this thing that we're calling the promised land or God calls the promised land. And what he's going to do is he's going to prepare his people to inhabit the promised land so that maybe he cannot dwell in all of the earth, but he can dwell here with this people in this place. And from there, he will then bless the world. And so he's got his people. He's got his plan. He brings the people to Sinai. He makes a covenant promise with them. And immediately, they start messing it up. Thus beginning the theme that will continue the rest of scripture. That is, humans don't do things well. (laughs) We do not do things well. We do not finish things well. We do not keep our promises well. We do not live according to God's plan well. But God, whose mercy is never ending, whose love is steadfast, keeps on being faithful to this people. And what he does is he gives them 40 years in the wilderness to really get ready for the promised land. So they've, they come to the edge of the promised land. They say, ah, we can't do it. They run away. God says, okay, you have 40 years. In that 40 years, the previous generation is going to pass away. New generation is going to be born. He's got new leaders. He's going to really focus for 40 years in the wilderness to create a people ready to inherit the promised land. And that was where we ended Deuteronomy with this new people, this new nation standing at the edge of the promised land, ready to inherit the promised land. And in the image that we've been given, the promised land, remember, is like God's foothold in the creation by which he is going to retake all of creation. So the wording is, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through this people being faithful to God, living well with God, through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Through this promised land, God will bless all the earth. And Deuteronomy ends with the people right at the cusp of going into the promised land. And Moses says to them, I've set before you life and death. Choose life so that you may live abundantly in the land that God has promised to your ancestors. And spoiler alert, they chose death. (laughs) So here's what happened. The historical books, which is the second second section of the books in in the Old Testament. So the historical books start with Joshua, and it goes Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. All of those are the historical books, and it's the story of Israel in the land. The story, so if if the Pentateuch takes us up into the edge of the promised land. The historical books are the story of Israel once they're in the promised land. And so what happens with Joshua, it's the story of them coming into the land, them coming in and conquering. And in some ways they're faithful, and in some ways they're not. It's a bit of a mixed bag, but it's, it's like this feeling of, wow, we finally made it. We finally did it. We've been in the wilderness for 40 years, and finally we're in this land. So there's a lot of victorious language in Joshua. There's a lot um, of—this is one of those books where a lot of people have have these verses, like, stitched on pillows because they're very nice verses or 
painted on something on their wall, be strong and courageous for I am with you. That's a wonderful verse to memorize. It's, it, it's great. I, I get snarky about this because there are a lot of Bible verses that nobody wants to stitch on a pillow. Um, but this is one of those, those books where there, is a, there are a lot of just really strong, powerful Bible verses because this is a victorious chapter for Israel coming in, taking hold of the promised land, and they end Joshua finally as the people of God in the promised land. And what there starts to be murmuring of is, you know what? We're in the promised land. We really should have a king because all the other people have kings. All the other girls get it. Can't I have it? All the other nations around us have a king. We should really have a king. And what God responds is, you have forgotten already. You remember we said at Sinai, I am your God. You are my people. I'm your king. Don't put another person over you. I am the one who is leading you. I will raise up people as I need them. But do not get confused <laughs> that you need somebody else because I am your king. And so what happens after they're in the promised land with Joshua is we go into the book of Judges. And we see that when there was no king in the land, this is the, this is the phrase of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in the land, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. How do you think that went? Judges is by far the darkest and most disturbing book of the entire Bible. Uh, Judges is the one where wherever you hear people quote things and they're like, did you know this was in the Bible? It's always from Judges. It's always from Judges. One of the things you have to understand about Judges is, is description does not equal prescription. So just because the Bible says something does not mean the Bible is condoning it. And part of what's happening in the book of Judges is we're seeing how terrible it gets when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Because it wasn't in those days there was no king in Israel, and so everyone lived as though the Lord God were their king in faithfulness to the covenant with Yahweh. That would have been a different book. Instead, it was in those days everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And all hell broke loose. Quite literally. I mean, there, there are very, very gruesome stories throughout the book of jo Judges that rival anything you see on Game of Thrones. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, it gets really graphic. It gets really dark. It gets really violent. And by the end of the book of Judges, we have seen sexual assault. We've seen dismemberment. We've seen uh, child sacrifice. We've seen everything. And it has gone all the way down to uh, the whole land embroiled in a civil war. And so Judges ends, and we come into the book of Samuel. And the book of Samuel, uh, throughout Judges, God, so the Judges were the people God was lifting up to try to lead the Israelites out. So we have a number of Judges, like Gideon was a judge, Deborah was a judge. Um, all these people that God was lifting up to try to lead the Israelites back, and they would come back for a time, but it was like their New Year's resolution. They would come back and they would be faithful for less than a chapter. It's like their faithfulness lasted three verses, and then they're off again. So that was, the, that was the book of Judges, and then we end, and in Samuel, God has a new plan. Because in Samuel, God starts raising up a prophet, and through that prophet, God is going to give people a king, a leader. So Samuel is the first prophet that God raises up and God calls to overthrow 
the, uh, not to overthrow, but he takes down the religious family that was in charge because they were corrupt, because everyone was a corrupt. And starting in the book of 1 Samuel, we see God working about to raise up a king. The first king is Saul. Saul starts out well, and then he falls. And the second king that is raised up is David. This is another name that is important to remember. This is the second king of Israel. This is overwhelmingly the most important king in the history of Israel. And this is the king through whom God makes a covenant that will eventually lead to Jesus. So what happens, so 1 Samuel is Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel is Samuel and Saul. Coming into 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles, we're getting the story of David. And what happens with David is David comes to power and he's an anomaly because in the sea of wickedness around him, he is a man, quote, after God's own heart. And we haven't seen that for a while. Every now and then you have people who are listening to God, but we hadn't seen that in a leader for a very long time. We saw leaders who would be after God's own heart before they got to power, but power corrupted them. And then as soon as they got in power, they were chasing after idols as quickly as they could. And David was the first one who didn't. David was a leader, a king, who even once he came into power, remained a man after God's own heart. He always was faithful to his God. Doesn't mean he was perfect. I'm coming back to that. But he, he always wanted to be the king who served his God, not the king who took the people away. In David, we have one of the first. We have, we have a number of examples of how to lead well, how to hold power well in the Old Testament. We have a number of examples of how not to do it in the Old Testament. But David was one of the first examples of how to lead well, how to hold power well in this story. And God was so impressed with his heart that he, he did this. He made an everlasting covenant. And he said, you know what? I will make with David a covenant that a descendant of your line will sit on the throne of Israel forever. You will never be without a king. This is an extraordinary promise. It's an extraordinary promise. You, my people, will never be without a king because I'm going to put somebody like David, a man after my own heart, a man who can actually represent me to you, a person who can actually truly, faithfully be a representative of God to the people. That is who is going to be your king, and you're going to have a leader. You will not be left without a leader. You will not be left without a king. Now, for those of you who know the story, I am not saying that David was perfect. In fact, David's flaws are so well known, but by the end of his life, his family's in complete turmoil because while he could lead well, he was a terrible father and husband. He just did not do family life very effectively. And so by the end of it, his whole family is in turmoil and his family starts a little mini civil war within his family. So David, even David does not represent to us perfection. And yet there was something in David's heart that God chose, that God wanted to make a covenant with forever because what God saw in David's heart as a leader 
was what God wanted for his people forever. And so what happens in David is God puts into place this covenant that will exist that people were trying to figure out what it meant until Jesus came along. So we have the people come into the promised land. We have the time of the judges, bad. We have the time of the kings, Saul, eh, David, good. Solomon is his son who comes next. And Solomon is another one who is kind of good and kind of not. Solomon starts out really good. Solomon, does all, Solomon builds a temple, which is the, where God comes and dwells on the earth. He used to be in a tabernacle, now he's in a temple. And yet Solomon also marries a whole bunch of foreign wives and builds a whole bunch of temples to foreign gods. Right? So just one generation ago, we were saying only the God is our God. Only God is our king. God is, God is our first priority. And now with Solomon... Oh, we're starting to get, out, to get off the track a little bit. And then with Solomon's children, everything falls apart. Solomon was the last king of what we call the unified promised land, the unified monarchy. So there were only three kings, Saul, David, Solomon. After that, civil war, and it was divided north and south. And what happens after that is a whole bunch of terrible kings a whole bunch of terrible kings. All of the kings in the north are bad. Most of the kings in the south are bad. There are like three that aren't bad, maybe four. All of the kings in the north are bad. All the kings in the south are bad. Most of the kings in the south are bad. And what God does is he, God watches this over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then what we're going to hear in the prophets is that throughout this period of time, God is sending warnings you did not get this covenant with no stipulations, right? You did not get this promised land with no stipulations. The idea was that you were going to be my people, I was going to be your God, and you were not living up to your side of the bargain. I was, gave you the law. You did not, you are not holding to the law. I gave you a standard behavior. You are not holding to it. I wanted to be your God alone, and yet you are worshiping all these other gods. And so what we're going to hear in the prophets is throughout this long period of time that we see in the Kings and the Chronicles, all these bad northern kings, mostly bad southern kings, God is giving warnings over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, which I never really fully appreciated until I got a parent. You, until I became a parent, you know the phrase that surprises me how often I say it now? I'm not talking to myself. Have any of you ever said this phrase before? So I'll be, I'll be in the living room and... Annabelle or John will be sitting there and I'll be like, hey, it's time to pick up your toy and put it in the basket. And then I say it 10 more times. And there's literally no sign that they even acknowledge that words are coming out of my mouth. And then I keep saying it and then I finally go over and I put my hand on their hand. It's time to pick up your toy and put it in the basket. And then eventually I start yelling because once you say something 25 times and there's no sign that anyone has heard it, you start to lose your temper. And then what I say and and I can't believe how often I say this, I'm not talking to myself. Like these words that are coming out of my mouth are not just because I want to say words. I am instructing you to do something. Literally, that is what the entire prophets is about. Like I just summarized the prophet series for you in a single line. It is God saying, I'm not talking to myself, guys. I'm saying lots of words. Look how many words there are in here. So many words. And none of them are for my own benefit. <laughs> This is not me talking to myself. This is me telling you what you're supposed to do. And the people going, 
no, okay. And then just going back to what they were doing. And so finally, after generations of that happening, God allows the consequence that he had been threatening for a long time. And that consequence is exile. So first, the northern kingdom is taken into exile by Assyria. The southern kingdom holds out a little bit longer and then is ultimately taken into exile in Babylon. You cannot overstate the level of trauma this was. You cannot overstate the level of crisis this was for a national identity. We do not have an experience in our identity as Americans that is anything close. Pearl Harbor does not come close. 9-11 does not come close. This is an entire nation, not only being all of their major cities being destroyed, but most of their people actually taken out of their nation, transported to a different land to live as servants and slaves in a different land. We do not have an experience like that. It was an ultimate crisis for the people because then they had to figure out, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Much of what we're going to see when we get farther in the prophets, it's the warnings and the repercussions and the people trying to make sense. What happened? And you hear people ask, why was God unfaithful to us? (laughs) Why did you take my toy away, mom? Why was God unfaithful to us? Why was God unfaithful to us? And the the. The, the story pushes us back to this long arc. I told you not to, 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 fine. You are going to finally get the, the, the consequences of your own action. And what happens then is this promised land that was supposed to be the shining example of the kingdom of God, the people are taken away from it. And the promised land is left desolate. There are... There are stories after that because God does not stop working in exile. But the wheels of a plan begin to turn whereby we start to understand that this whole arc of story that happened was not God abandoning, but God moving about a plan that had been at work all along. Because the truth of the matter is you and I on our own are not going to be the people God wants us to be. You and I on our own are not going to be people who can fully inhabit the promised land. You and I on our own are not going to be people who can be the people of God, the holy kingdom of God, showing people what the the Lord looks like. And so God knew from this that he needed to put in place a different plan. He needed to fix what it was within humanity that compelled us to rebel He needed to fix what it was within humanity that compelled us to disobey. He needed to free us to be the people he wanted us to be, and also in our heart of hearts, the people we wanted us to be. And the means by which he was going to do it was a new king. When we read those words, I will give you a king in the line of David to sit on the throne of Israel to get forever. We see a spiritual promise by which Jesus is, by which God is ensuring that you and I and everyone over the face of the earth are not left to the consequences of our own choices. 
You and I are not left without a leader. You and I are not left without a king. You and I are not left to be the people who only inherit the consequences of the choices that we made. Because if that were true at a spiritual level, we would all be lost. Through this plan, God gave us a new king. And through this plan, God is creating a new promised land. And it is not one that is just geography. It is one that stretches over the face of the earth. Because whenever there are people who put their lives under the kingship of Christ, you begin to see what the kingdom of God looks like. Whenever there are people who put themselves under the kingship of Christ, you begin to see what the promised land looks like, what God's dwelling on earth looks like, and what God's plan on earth looks like. And even though that was not immediately apparent when they went into the exile, yet that is where the story went. And that is where the story developed. So that you and I find ourselves in the same story that is that started back here, just in a later chapter. Next week, we're going to go into the wisdom books. The week beyond that, we're going to go into the prophets. But this is the end of the story from a historical perspective until we begin the New Testament. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, Almighty God, giver of all good gifts, um, forgive us when we have forgotten the people from which we come. And forgive us when we have wanted a king other than you. Forgive us when we have rehearsed over and over again that story from the Israelites. (laughs) Forgive us when we have rehearsed over and over again wanting to be people and failing, trying to be people and failing. Forgive us when you have called us to a certain standard, you've called us to a certain kind of behavior, and we have failed over and over and over and over again. God, forgive us when we have not been the people of God. By the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, free us for faithful obedience. That through faithful obedience to you, we might actually become the people you called us to become and live as citizens of the kingdom of God under the kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ. This we pray as we say together the prayer our Lord taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.